Welcome to Draft Deeper on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. Thank you so much for tuning in and starting your week with the No Ceilings Collective. My name is Nathan Grubel. You know me as the host of Draft Deeper. Every single Monday, we're coming out with an episode. And joining me tonight, we are without Stephen Gillespie. He is a little under the weather, as I'm sure a lot of us either are or are going to be. It is going to be a brutal winter. I have a feeling with all the different flus and, and all of those things going around, but Nevertheless, he is recovering. We will see him next week on the podcast. But Maxwell Baumbach is back on the show. And Maxwell, you and I were talking just a little bit before we started recording this. This is going to be a spicy episode, I feel like. I I think there are going to be some divisive takes possibly thrown around. And it's all in good fun, right? We had a massive massive week of basketball i think i watched over 30 games this week so that's that that's quite the grind it was every day probably from what like so monday we had some games of the maui invitation somehow yep but then like wednesday through up until today it's just been a constant non-stop grind with all these fun events but that's why they call it feast week that's why it's so much fun and now we get to have the pleasure of recapping some of the biggest storylines. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Yeah, I to to peel back the curtain a little bit. I I helped put together like the schedule. Like whenever we tweet out games on a day by day basis, being like, "Hey, here's some games to watch tonight." And like last week, I just felt like I was putting in a million games. And did you just notes, dump a spreadsheet like, on poor page? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I kind of did. Well, I just put like check for MTE games every single day and whatever. So I, I did offload even more of the work onto her as uh that's like a thing around here. Like Paige is just, she's, she's cleaning up a lot of stuff around here. So I did make her do that. But like this week I was putting it together for the coming week. And it was like, there's some nice games here and there, but just the volume of quality basketball that we got this past week we're not going to have anything like it for a while. So I, I enjoyed every second of it. I was up bright and early every single morning, getting these games in. And yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to talk about it. Cause yeah, like you said, there, there's some really divisive uh, players that we're going to talk about the, the take cannon on Twitter. He's been fired (laughs) up the last few days, especially around Brandon Miller. We're going to talk about him at some point, but yeah, everyone's getting their takes off and, it, it's there's a lot going on there's a lot going on i'm excited to dig in oh not just at some point maxwell like we we're starting the show with brandon let's miller and, yeah, and, and you brandon and i miller. you and i were talking with some of the other guys about who are the featured prospects that we were actually going to write about for no ceilings this week mm-hmm. and i fired off the group chat up like somebody's got to write about brandon miller and i thought mm-hmm. i was originally going to be writing about anthony black but I think you wanted to write about Anthony Black, which was a perfect pivot for me to be able to write about Brandon Miller again. We know mm-hmm. that Albert just wrote about Brandon Miller. He actually has a great piece up right now. You can read it literally right now on No Ceilings before my morning dunk goes live. If you're listening to the podcast a little early in the morning, like like Stephen does listening at 4 a.m. whenever mm-hmm. these podcast episodes drop, we're, we're just kidding, Stephen. But yeah, I, I feel like we needed to talk about him because all this social media craze Listen, Corey, Corey came in and he published his preseason board. So every time we do like a composite big board on no ceilings, NBA.com, we put all of our big boards in, we submit one. I'm usually in the guy compiling all the results. And we had had some discussions about Brandon Miller during the summertime, right? Like Tyler Metcalf yeah. was watching some of the exhibition games that he caught his eye. You were talking about Brandon Miller as maybe we should pay a little bit more attention to him. 
you were high on him. Or I was eventually. I started low. Like I started low, and then the more I dug into the high school film was what changed it for me. Like I, I initially like when I first saw him, I was like, I don't get it. Like this is just a guy who takes mid range shots, but like is better at defense. Like I, the the comparison I made initially was I was like, are we sure this isn't just like Bryce McGowan's with passing shots? <laughs> was like what I first like. That's like that was like my first. So that's a way to sell me though. That's a way it to bring is, me yeah. in because I love Bryce, <laughs> Bryce yeah. McGowan's, but. So, okay, so you came up higher on him eventually. Eventually, but, yeah. So Corey came in guns hot with yeah. his ranking, and he had him, like, top five. And I'm like, all right, what am I missing? Because, as you've kind of said before, Maxwell, like, we're, we're really good at bouncing prospects off of one another. Like, if I see something, you might message me and be like, hey, what might, what might I be missing about this guy? Me, vice versa, right? If you have a guy that, that you've been talking about or following and you write about him, I haven't heard of him or I just haven't seen enough of him. Maybe I'll talk to you be like, what, what do I need to look out for in this guy? What might I be missing? Usually Corey and I kind of have that similar way that we look at prospects. And usually we either come to an agreement or we might disagree with each other, but neither of us, I, don't, I feel like really aren't that far off base with one another. Mm-hmm. And Brandon Miller was one of those instances that we actually were very far apart because I came in, Brandon Miller was probably in like the 20s for me on a preseason board for a number of different reasons that we'll talk about. But Corey had a number five. And I'm like, holy smokes, what what am I missing with this guy? And now we've seen him lace him up for Alabama. We heard some of the preseason buzz, right? Like we we all either talk to agents or other scouts or whoever people may be directly or, you know, some of the chatter ends up making its way in, in our group chat we heard all the buzz about Brandon Miller's tearing up for Alabama. Like this is going to be one of those guys who's going to come out beginning of the year. You're going to regret not having him higher on your board. Uh, Pierre shout out Pee Wee to plug over it through the wire. He was really high on Brandon, Brandon Miller coming in. Um, I think Rashad w- was also pretty high, or at least he was talking about something with Brandon most like the, the buzz was out there, but I was skeptical for a few reasons. Now we're, we're six, technically seven games into the season after Alabama finally finished that four overtime game against North Carolina. Like before, I feel like right before we recorded the podcast, like that was boy, that was a rough game. But mm-hmm. we're we're six games in for the stats that I'll read off: twenty and a half points per game, nine point two rebounds, two assists, forty five percent from the field, fifty two point four percent from three point range, seventy eight percent from the line, a twenty eight point seven per, and a sixty two true shooting percentage those are some pretty good numbers for a possible yeah, nba they're prospect great. At, they're great at, numbers at six nine with the size the length that he has to be able to play out of the wing possibly slide up play that small ball four spot he fits the type of mold the type of archetype that nba teams are looking for in that position group right so you look at the numbers you look at his measurables and you're kind of thinking to yourself well if he really is shooting the piss out of the ball like that, why don't we have him higher on a draft board? Why isn't he surging up? Then he comes out. Um, Alabama was playing out at the PK 85 tournament and they have a game against Michigan state. He goes absolutely bonkers against Michigan state, 24 points, nine rebounds, two blocks to which point it wasn't just scouts or, or, or fun guys like like you and I coming out on Twitter and saying like, oh, Brandon Miller, like top five, Brandon Miller, top six. Kevin O'Connor comes out all of a mm-hmm. sudden is like, Brandon Miller, he's a beast, third overall on my board. And I'm like, 
wow, so we're, we're really going to do this right now, aren't we? Like we have to have the, the Brandon Miller conversation because there are some positives, Maxwell, that I want you to talk about as somebody yeah. who has ended up being higher on him, but there are some negatives. Like there are some there real, are real flaws. Negatives. Yes, well. and those, so, have, those have come out the last two days. So pretty, what, apparently. Why don't you talk about what you've seen over the last week with Brandon Miller and kind of how you're sitting with him right now before I go into some of my thoughts. Yeah, so he was he was five for me coming into the week. I think he's still in that range. Like I have no doubt in my mind that like at this stage in the process, he's clearly a top ten. Um, and I want to get this out of the way first. I think there's a lot of people talking past each other with Brandon Miller. Like I think it's just the worst conversation I've seen in some time around Brandon Miller, where everyone is like, "Oh, like he no, he's great. Like no, he sucks. Like whatever." And like. The one thing, because I think I think it was Steven that I saw I asked somebody on Twitter. It's like, okay, well, who are you putting ahead of him? Like, if he's so bad, like where, who are you putting? So here's here's what I like about Brandon Miller. My concern coming into college with him was it, it is a very mid-range heavy shot diet that he showcased, particularly in the EYBL film. Um, I do think that he is really proving that he can shoot threes at this stage. So he's six foot nine. He is hunting the pull up three at times. Yeah, trying to prove might be a little too nice, Maxwell, because fifty percent of his shot attempts have been from three point range yeah. before today's game. So, but like <laughs> on paper, wouldn't you rather have that than like this guy who just chucks in the? Middle? Oh, absolutely, a lot. Absolutely, like, yeah. So to me, it's it's a positive development, even if it's a little a little much. Um, but he's capable of hitting deep threes. A lot of these are NBA range threes. He hit hit something in the Michigan State game with a hand in his face from deep from uh, from Hauser, who's like not he's not a small guy. Like he's no. not a great defender. But if he's closing out on you with a hand in his face and you're hitting a three over him, that he's means- a, I think he's the same height as Brandon Miller, right? Is yeah, Hauser six nine. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I believe six nine, six ten, somewhere in that range. Um, to stay with the offense, I think his passing is is solid. It's not like true point forward passing at this point. Yep. But I do think he processes the game pretty well and has a solid understanding of his leverage. Yep. Um, I think defensively, there's a lot to really enjoy. Because I think the thing that has thrown me off the most, and I'm interested to see if you're coming from a different place on this, I really like him defensively. Like I think he slides and stays big really well. I think that he knows his scouting report off the ball in particular. Like I feel like he's never sagging too far off of a shooter. Um, there are times where if he knows that the guy's picked up his dribble and he's on a shooter, he'll really work to deny his man the ball and prevent him from getting the ball in that sort of a situation. Um, there's been good instances of him getting really skinny around screens. I feel like he's fairly disciplined about when he leaves his feet, but when he does, he recovers really well. So I really like what I'm seeing from him on the defensive end. Like there, there are a lot of freshmen that come into college and people are like, oh yeah, like great, great defender, great defender. And then you dig into the tape and it's like, I, it's more like theoretical, like the tools are there and they can do some stuff, but it's not consistent. I feel like the consistency of his defense has been solid. Are, do you agree with that? Or So we, we've talked multiple times about the health defense, the, the help stuff around the basket. Like I think mm-hmm. that's been phenomenal, his yep. ability to, or, or I shouldn't say ability, he has the ability, but really the want, the desire to get out in the break and chase down guys for those blocks, like that's mm-hmm. been really impressive. I like a lot of those things. Communication is really good too. Communication's fantastic. He's always talking. I think his anticipation is good. I I think he sees things. I think he sees things. He sees the floor well. That goes into some of the passing things that you talked about, right? Like 
I'd say he's, he's, do we want to call him a good passer? I think average is probably appropriate. Like right now, right? Like he, he does the things that I think we want him to do in that regard. I don't know if I call him a good passer yet, but. I'd say good for his size. Like I think okay, if good. You, okay. you line I, up I like, with that. prospects yep. who are his Sorry. height in this draft, he's, he's going to be higher on that scale, but he's not like, he's not like a point forward or anything. Like I think I, I agree. Yeah. A bridge too far. I can rock with that. So you, you kind of see those things coming together on the defensive side. What I'm concerned about with him defensively is, and I, I wrote a little bit of this in my column that's going to publish. I said, out of the perimeter, Miller's shortcomings are more pronounced, but I don't think he's been terribly bad. On the ball, it's clear that he's not the fleetest of foot. When he gets beat on drives and in screen and roll situations, Miller looks as though he anticipates his man's move and can recover off a counter and drive with his length. But when he gets when he does get beat and he has to settle for a hard foul, that's an issue, right? And, and that popped we, up we saw that today. today. Yeah, it did. So it did. that's that's like my biggest concern, right? Like we we want to project him as this one through four, really switchable, really versatile defender, which in theory it works, but when he gets beat, it looks really bad. And th- mm-hmm. that's the issue. And that that's the one part. So the comp that's going to come out a lot with Brandon Miller is a lot of the stuff with Jabari Smith last year, which like, there's gonna come so, up. I, yeah, I, it, man, it, it's going to come up on, on both sides of the ball on defense. Brandon isn't the type of perimeter defender that I think Jabari was not even last close. year. Yeah. And that's really the shortcoming, but I think overall, I'm with you. I, I like the defense. I don't love it, yeah. but I do like it. And when you can combine that with some of the other things that we can talk about with him offensively, there is a package there to where he becomes the modern forward that we do think he can be just by looking at the numbers or looking at the measurables. There are things there. Defensively, I think was the, a, a little bit of my mixed bag. So there, there were three concerns that I had coming into the season, right? Number one, I did want to see how a lot of the defense translated, given that as we've talked about, he was playing a different role in high school than he would be in college. In high school, he was the the de facto five, the the primary rim protector a lot for his high school team. Now he's going to have to play more out covering on the wing or or out kind of covering and closing out the corner shots a lot more often, right? Like different role. How is he going to fare? How is his mobility going to look? The other concern was the shooting. You talked about his mid-range shot diet. Now it seems as though he's gone in the opposite direction. He is he is still perimeter based, but now it's all behind the three point line, which is is good when he's making them. But why is he living on those three point shots? And that brings us to the ultimate concern yeah. that has still not been answered. So today he was two of thirteen on shots against North Carolina from inside the arc. Maxwell, that's not going to get it done. And no. There's going to be some talk about some of the guards on his team and the mix in the offense, especially late in the game. Like I understand all of that. I don't disagree with any of that, but all through the first half into, I want to say like the, the 12, 11 minute mark in the second half, he had the ball in his hands a lot where he could do stuff within the offense. He was bringing the ball up the floor. He was initiating stuff. He had every single opportunity to sort of prove the quote-unquote doubters wrong, that he was going to be more of a threat driving, getting to the basket, and actually finishing at the rim. And through seven games now, he just has not been able to do it. He doesn't get off the floor. He's not explosive. I think some of the stuff 
I've seen online, and I'm sure you have as well, because you, you you talked about it, the discourse around Brandon Miller, there are some great things to point out, but a lot of the discourse actually hasn't been great in the community so far. I think some of the the stuff that he can't get by anybody, that's overblown. As I, think I, he I has. agree. He's I gotten think... by people, but it's more yeah. so the explosion. I agree. And I think that, I think a lot of people in the draft sphere overvalue explosiveness and i'm not saying it's not a good thing to have um or that it's not important um but i think you need it if you're like a six foot four guard and under you yeah yeah at this point you have to have it but there's yeah there are a lot of of great players and they can that need a screen there's a lot of exceptional nba players that aren't super explosive or use screens more often to compensate for the fact that they're not super explosive and in our legitimate star players on max contracts. So I don't think that's like a nail in the coffin that he's not blown by everybody. Mm-hmm. What is a big concern is the fact that through those six games uh, sitting here, he was at 38.1% on twos, which it's rough. It's rough. It's definitely not good. Um, to me, the biggest concern is not even like getting to his spots because I think he can work on ways to do that. I I don't think he's like I've seen people call like his handle mediocre. I think his handles like again like for his size not bad. I think there's some stuff he can do footwork wise. I also am like a and I, I hate that I'm like somebody said this and I think that like but another knock I've seen on him is like his functional strength, which is somebody who is like big into fitness and weightlifting. Everybody can improve. If, if you do the right things, I have no doubt he can become mm-hmm. functionally stronger. And if you talk to people, uh, skills trainers, people that work in the NBA, they will tell you the same. They do not mind if somebody is not NBA strong out of the gates. Being 6'9", is it a bigger concern? 100%. Um, I think footwork-wise, there's a lot that needs to change, but it's really just like how he handles contact. That to me is the biggest like, oh, brother. Like, it reminds me a lot of, and this is somebody else who I loved as a prospect and still am like on the bandwagon of today. And Moses Moody where like, there would be plays where he would get to the rim and meet somebody and he would just shrivel. And that kind of stuff can't happen because you're, you're diminishing your own touch. You're reducing the likelihood of a foul being called. And like, he's done a decent job of getting to the line, but like, he's just got a dead to a place. I don't know if it's a mental thing, a strength thing or whatever, where like, he is willing to go into that contact. We talked about it with the difference between a men and a sore Thompson, right? Like a sore is just willing to, to buck up and deal with the contact around the basket. And that to me is like my big concern with Brandon Miller. It's just like, can you embrace and finish through that contact? Because the lack of elevation and the way that he's just handling that contact is, is very frustrating right now. So I, I agree with you hundred percent. The, the whole getting to his spots thing, he does get to his spots. And you want to know why I know he gets to, gets to his spots? You don't even need a ton of the tape to figure out the why. You can look at some of the free throw attempt numbers. And over mm-hmm. the last, you know, five games, six games, he's getting the line, right? He's getting the mm-hmm. line five or more times a game. So that tells yep. me he's able to get to the basket. The problem is, is when he's not bailed out by the whistle, there's nothing else really going in. And he had he had a great and one finish in the Michigan State game. Um, he's had some of those. But when we talk about an overall body of work, it's to, to me, I don't even know if it's as much the strength, Maxwell, 
the man just just doesn't get up off the floor like that that to me is an even bigger issue like so i i can specifically talk about a two-on-one fast break today in the north carolina game where he he could have passed it to i i forget who the guard was running with him in the other lane but he could have passed it to that guard he decided to keep the ball which was fine i think a lot of the other forwards were looking at it his size in this draft class he was going up against the guard on that drive on the break in the two-on-one. They would have hammered it home mm-hmm. over that guard, and Brandon Miller couldn't do it. Brandon Miller actually had to get bailed out by the whistle on that yeah. play because he couldn't finish the and one in that situation. So we're we're not even talking about a drive in the half court where there's like two or three guys around him who are trees that he doesn't have the strength to finish through. We're talking about this being issue against smaller guards, people who are significantly like four to five inches smaller than him. Mm-hmm. That's that's an issue. Like that lack of touch, that lack of ability to get up off the ground. That that is a real thing. That if people are going to keep singing that criticism about his game, they probably shouldn't harp on it as much as they should. But it is a real issue. And I I wonder, I like I know nothing about biomechanics but i wonder if like somebody who who does could like explain some of this to me too because i do feel like there have been times where i've seen him like really get up for a rebound and then conversely like there are times where it just seems like yeah like he's he's got his feet stuck in the stand it's it's the two foot versus the one foot yeah in reality yes and that was another thing that people knocked jabari smith for like early on during the last draft cycle when he was breaking out is that like he doesn't get up that well off of one a lot Um, And I felt like even throughout the last season, he got a little bit better with that. Like I remember there was one play in particular where he took off on the baseline last year and tried to get off of, off of one. And he got like brutally fouled, but before he got to the rim, like the jump looked good. So maybe there are some tweaks that he can make, but it is like Gigi Jackson would have hammered that ball home today. Like Mm -hmm. that that wouldn't have even been a discussion. That would have been like a sports center top 10 possible highlight. Right. Yeah. Brandon Miller. It was it was a struggle and he needed to get to the line to, to bring something away from that play. So that all of that aside, I do like a good amount of what I've seen from him. I like anybody who's that big, who's that tall, who can create their own shot from the perimeter, who wants to be aggressive, right? It, it's not like he doesn't want the moment. This guy wants to be the offense for his team. There are just some things that he's not good at. Right now, does he need to improve at some of these things? Yes, he does. Will he improve at some of these things? I don't have an answer for that question. Mm -hmm. I I don't know if he's going to improve some of these things that he needs to work on at the rim. Like I said, we 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 should probably have somebody on the show who is much more fluid in in the biomechanics and and all. Yeah, that is not my bag. Yeah, we are. Yeah, it's 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 not my bag either. But those are the concerns that we have and it comes back to so he's taking a lot of these jump shots because i think he knows there are just certain situations where he shouldn't drive at the basket or the other thing that i talk about all the time and we've talked about it with Quavion smith the the angles taking to get to the basket if he doesn't have that explosive first step to come out a little wide and actually get the right angle to go to the rim he's going to be coming in tight which makes it a lot easier for somebody else to come over and help and rotate in front of him. And if that big body's in front of him, we just talked about how somebody who's five inches smaller than him can be a problem. If you make it any easier for that big body to come over and rotate and challenge that shot, that just makes it so much harder for him to finish in these traffic situations. So that all that, all that aside though, right? The production has clearly been there. He's had some big moments. That Michigan state game was a signature performance. We, 
We talk with these prospects. We want to see these signature performances, regardless of where they're playing. The best prospects always happen. He has a few of them already. He has a 28-point performance. He has that 24-point performance against Michigan State. The highs look high, but the lows, because of the lows, I can't get there as high as some some of you guys are with with Brandon Miller. I I can't get there to just automatically shoot him up into the top five or the top six on my board. Can can I ask you a question that I know I didn't prepare you for? I'm going to catch you really off guard here. Let's do it. You think you're keeping Brandon Miller top five on your board. But if I had to ask you between these two players, who would you actually rather have? Mm-hmm. Brandon Miller or Gigi Jackson? Who would you pick? I would still pick Brandon Miller at this stage. I I see the, I see the vision from your side for sure. Because I think with Gigi, I think he profiles better athletically. Um, and he's, he's much younger, like two and a half, two years younger. Um, I think with Gigi, what I'm still a little hung up on is like the assist numbers, like the passing feel in particular, just like, isn't there to a degree. And I think part of that might just be him like settling into the college. He's starting to run some pick and roll though, man. It's it's starting to get scary hours down in South Carolina. For sure. And he's a guy too, where like, I want to dig, I didn't dig super deep into the high school film on him. And I kind of want to, because I want to know how much of that is just him, like still getting used to the speed of the college game um because if it is and like the high school passing looks good i'd be more willing to go out on sure. limb on him um but yeah at this stage i'm still brandon miller i am never married to my rankings this early in the season like i will say if by the end of the year if he's like 12 or something like that i wouldn't be shocked um i still just have a hard time given the feel size and perimeter shot making seeing him falling out of the lottery like i think that's hard for me to imagine i i see where you're coming from i i respect the question if you have gg higher i'd get it um but i'm just a little more comfortable with what i've seen from miller so far especially especially against good competition because a lot of these gg games do have not come against the best squads the clemson game was good uh matched with pj hall who's like a real deal guy but He's got a game against Georgetown coming up, which Georgetown's not lighting anybody on fire necessarily either, but that will be another, I think, good test for him. And then the the most interesting matchup with Gigi I'm I'm waiting for is the Imani Bates and Gigi Jackson showdown that's coming in in between Christmas and New Year's. I'm I'm waiting for that game. I can't wait to see that one. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't have an answer for you. I was just kind of curious to see where where your headspace was at. You say fall out of the lottery. The both of them are in the lottery. Oh yeah, that's yeah, yeah. that's that's not up for debate. Um, the fact that like Gigi, like I don't think it's appreciated enough that Gigi like has not been a disaster. Like the fact that he's actually playing good basketball, good. like it's it's like legitimately a miracle. Like I was expecting Gigi to like be bad in college, and he was still going to be like top fifteen as long as he didn't like take a dump on the court. Like <laughs> like I, I was so intrigued with him as a player, and the fact that he's playing good basketball, I don't think is getting enough attention. Like I I've seen him so far down people's boards and I'm like, I don't know. This is such a jump in competition for somebody his age and he's handling it so well. So, so if anybody out there just listens to the, the draft deeper podcast and they aren't tuning into all the other episodes of the no ceilings NBA feed, first of all, how dare you, you should be listening mm-hmm. to all of our wonderful shows, but I had Keandre from hoop and elect on the home and away episode that, that I got the host for, for the collective. And we talked about Gigi Jackson and, my reservation with Gigi, the talent is ridiculous. I want to have him stupendously high on my board. 
and I think when we do a big board update, I may very well have Gigi Jackson higher than Brandon Miller. My, my only reservation, though, with drafting a player that high is usually when you're drafting a player that high, it means the team that he's going to isn't the greatest situation. That could be for a variety of different things. It could be mm-hmm. a, an honest rebuild for a good organization who actually develops players really well. But there's instances like Marvin Bagley to the Sacramento Kings, for example, where this guy had, in my opinion, he had a lot of talent, but he was nowhere close to being any sort of finished product. And there was a lot of the development that needed to be finished. And he went to an organization that wasn't going to develop him and have a specific path set out in front of him. And with Gigi Jackson, he's doing all of these different fun things on the court. Brandon Miller, he's doing a lot of the same fun things too, right? That's why yeah. the conversation's valid. But with Gigi, you use, I, I love when you use the phrase exploring the studio space. He is yeah, absolutely yeah. doing that, but I don't quite feel that there's a specific plan with some of the things that he does on the court, nor do I know if the, the coaching staff has a specific plan for him mm-hmm. right now. And then you take that to the NBA. And if there is no real developmental track for him, I just wonder what type of disaster that could possibly turn into because that can happen yeah. with even the most talented of players, right? If they don't have a role that they can grow into, mm-hmm. he's coming in. He wants to be this, this jumbo wing, this jumbo big, like I'm just going to take all of these step back threes. I'm going to pull up for all these jump shots. I'm not always going to do the things that your typical forward prospect would do, which is fine. I, I do like the experimentation, but Brandon Miller, if you're going to make an argument for Brandon Miller, he knows who he is and there are some things that he needs to work on, but you know, the type of player you're getting right off the bat when you're talking about drafting one of the Thompson twins, you're talking about drafting like a GG Jackson, there are more questions around their development that I think we have answers for right now. So maybe yeah. that's just another reason why you would take a Brandon Miller higher and put him higher on your board. I don't know where you're at with sort of that whole discourse. Yeah. Well, I think, I think an argument that could easily be made in the favor of GG there is the idea that like, if you're worried about throwing him on a rebuilding team that doesn't have talent around him and like seeing where that leads, like we're seeing he's it on right South now. Carolina, we're right seeing now. it right yep. now. With like <laughs> Michi Johnson just chucking threes and like Hayden Brown playing old man ball at the elbow. Like that's, that's their team. So I, I don't know. It wouldn't dissuade me personally. I think my biggest reservation is still just going to be the feel and like, can he play make for others and get a little better at like reading the game and knowing like, hey, nothing's here right now, so I'm going to kick it out. Like, that's that's the sort of stuff I want to see as the year goes on. I can't wait to compare our big boards with, with Steve in one of these episodes we will do. Mm-hmm. In, in the coming weeks, when we can actually get all three of us back on, on yeah. a podcast episode together. But we'll move on. So we, we covered Brandon Miller pretty in-depth. You and I still have questions that need answers, and we will just see how more of the season plays out. Hopefully, he does not throw up too many more stinkers from an efficiency standpoint like he did against North Carolina. Don't get me wrong. Like he did things in the North Carolina game that were good, right? Like he certainly had moments. I was pleasantly surprised and will continue to be pleasantly surprised with how much that team actually trusts him to have the ball in his hands. Right? Like that's more of what I want to see from Brandon Miller, but yeah, four of 21 from the field. We got to have a better game than that, bud. uh, We we just need to see more consistency on that front. Somebody who was consistent, over his last few games, you are writing about Anthony Black this week, Maxwell. So I won't mm-hmm. take up too much of the airspace on this pod in relation to him. I actually want you to be able to give your open and free thoughts, given that he is going to be the future prospect on the prospect overview. But his Maui run, man, 
holy crap. Like wow. I, 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 I was watching those games and I'm like, I, I think I really think I need to write about Anthony black. And even in his, the quote unquote worst game for him was against San Diego state in, in, in their last game. He was only three of 11 from the field, three of nine on twos, but he was still nine of 10 from the free throw line. Yep. Was very willing to get to the line, 15 points, five rebounds, but games before that 26 points and six assists in games against Louisville. And then against one of the best teams we have in the country in Creighton, like this man, we kind of, we kind of see him as like a connector type, I think is what we wanted to call him before the year started Maxwell. But now we have real examples on film. This dude is willing to do whatever he needs to do to help his team win a basketball game. And if he needs to go into takeover mode, damn it, he's going to do it and he's going to do it well. Yeah. I I have not been more impressed by a prospect over the last week and a half than I have been by Anthony Black. And I can 100% assure you, I I don't know who I will have to kick out. He's going to be in the top 10 on my board. And and I I don't think at this point it's... I, I don't think it's too much of a discussion. I'm curious to see where you're at, given you're writing about him and, and, mm-hmm. and your whole takeaway from the last week. But I to me, I, I don't think that's much of a discussion. I, I want to hear where you're at. Yeah, I'm in a real similar place as you. Um, so to kind of start off and, and give some background, if people missed the preseason preview episodes, something that I had kind of raised as a concern with Anthony Black was this idea that he is this big attacker at six foot seven. And Arkansas, outside of him, was really kind of short on perimeter shooting. And it was Ricky Council and nobody else that really had a proven track record of knocking down outside threes at a good clip. And I had raised the point that like, look, I think you take a player like this in the first round, no matter what. Somebody who's 6'7", that kind of athleticism, that kind of field, the defensive acumen, those guys succeed, you take them in the first round, even if the college season isn't good. Um, That's what it looked like was going to happen those first three games he was he was rough out there it was it was the the anthony black struggle bus i think through those first three games he was scoring six points per game 33 percent from the field 25 percent from three um but there was Not still great, some good Chief. stuff yeah there was still some good stuff there was uh you know three steals a game 0.7 blocks and granted these are against all low major schools but it's it's something that the, the defense was there but boy was the offense looking rough it's also like that that whole arkansas team you talked about the lack of shooting the, the lack of chemistry period it's like it's like they're yeah. rolling out a whole new squad and so he yep he's the type of guy he's gonna want to run the show but he also has to figure out where everybody else likes the ball when are going to be his times to take over within the flow of the offense how does all of this look like without arguably their best player on the team in nick smith jr like how are all of these pieces going to come together so to your point there were some struggles, but those were to be expected because he had to figure out a, a lot of what this was going to look like before one of the bigger events in the early year in the Maui Invitational. Yeah, so Maui arrives and he goes nuts and <laughs> scores 22 points per game, 50, 60% on 10 twos per game, gets to the line 7.3 times per game, 86% nuts. on his free throw. So the touch is very encouraging there makes 40% of his threes in Maui, 4.3 assists, getting it on the glass, grabbing almost five rebounds a game, getting a bunch of steals. Like, he's the guy. He comes out of Maui getting the, the tightest and tightest. They call it the Maui bump. Anthony Black gets the Maui bump in, in draft circles. He looked absolutely phenomenal. And 
I just I love his game and I love his aggressiveness, um, especially when we're when we're talking offense and hunting hunting in general. Uh, he is playing at multiple speeds, which I think is something that I was really excited to see from him. Yeah, because he is so explosive. And when you are that type of athlete and you can turn the corner on guys like he can, it's really tempting to just try and do that all the time. Um, but which he did, a, he did at different yeah. times in some of these games, right? When it was there, he was doing it. He, he self-corrected though. He adjusted yeah. exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. When, when it's time, he'll, he'll use a hostage dribble. He'll, he'll keep a guy on his tail. If he's got a smaller guy on him, he has no problem just keeping him on his hip. And same thing too, or if he's just like on an Island against a smaller guy, he'll go through him. He doesn't care. He's, he's going to eat that mismatch every single time. Um, his eyes for the weak side corner are outstanding. Yep. Like situations where teams are over helping off that weak side corner and he can just sling it there out of his dribble with his right hand. Really great stuff that you like to see. Um, there were some, some issues here and there. I thought with his, his ball handling, like he's all of his turnovers. It felt like came on instances where he played the pick and roll a little too slow and he was just kind of waiting on things to shake out and a defender could kind of got into his handle. But all in all, this is a guy who, creates with a purpose he's looking to get downhill um but he's not forcing it and he keeps his head up the whole time and the biggest thing that i am thrilled with from an offensive development standpoint is that if you give him space he will shoot he's going to keep the defense honest i don't necessarily buy the three i certainly don't think it's going to be the 40 percent he hit in maui um if you look at the synergy numbers a lot of these shots are unguarded that he's getting from three but they were running their double horn set at the top where defenses were really sagging on him. And he would, he would shoot the three there. Uh, guys would go way under on handoffs and he would take those. Some, he had some really bad misses in there, but the bottom line is he is shooting when given the space. And if he can just keep the defense honest like that, it forces defenses yep. to play up on him. That's where the speed comes into play. That's where the precision comes into play. And it just opens up everything else for his offensive game. So those are, that's the big, the big offensive part for me. So I, I want to kind of bounce it back to you and see where you were at just so on he, the offensive side of the ball with him. And, and, and exactly. So he needs to be able to bring defenses out. So where he can turn the corner, get somebody on his hip, which by the way, you, you talked about, he already does that pretty decently. Now he's listed at six, seven, 198 pounds. Mm -hmm. I think his body can keep filling out. Like I think oh, he can easily. get up to yeah. like 215. And and once he starts getting up in that weight range, right, he's gonna be a lot stronger, like two, three, four years from now. He's gonna be a problem to deal with because he's six seven, because he has length, because he's always able to see over the top of the defense. So now if he can take on who's in front of him, right? Get by who's in front of him and keep those other guys behind him, what's the defense gonna be able to do if he's able to take the space? right? Maybe hit some pull up jump shots in time, maybe get to the floater in the paint. Like, and then obviously when he gets all the way to the rim, he can get up there. He's explosive. He can get up off one and hammer at home. Mm -hmm. What are defenses going to be able to do to him from a scoring perspective? And Oh, by the way, you mentioned the, the quarter kickouts, the, the, the reads out of pick and roll, the pocket passes like this man has every single pass that I want to see from a point guard in the book. Yeah. And he's 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 dropping Maxwell. He's dropping him on a dime. Like how many mm -hmm. how many errant passes is he honestly throwing through these first it's six never games? The like passes. there's a few. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a few that you can point out, but really not too many. When he's a freshman coming in, playing especially in Maui, 
Uh, first game, 35 minutes played, 38 minutes played, 39 minutes played. This guy is quite literally playing the entire game, and he's not showing signs of being too tired to finish out those games and helping his team get the win. His, his passes are still on a dime. He's still being attentive. He's still being aggressive, hunting for his own shot. And then he's also playing, I won't say spectacular defense, but I think it's been pretty freaking good. Right, yeah. like he is—he is at least engaged and locked in the entire time. He can play up at the point of attack. There are still some things I want to see him get better at away from the ball, but for a freshman guard, I do think his defense has been pretty dang good. And now we're talking about the type of two-way package that can come in and impact the game from day one in the NBA at his size. Just the way that the game's going, Maxwell. Like th- those are my thoughts. I, I don't yeah. see what NBA team wants to pass on the type of package that he is if the perimeter shooting is consistent enough like it has been over the last few games so i guess the question for us to answer would be can he sustain at least a good portion of what he's shown over these maui games i think my answer is yes what would be your answer yeah, I, I think he will. I think he's going to have a good, a legitimately good season because I don't think you have three games like that against teams that caliber. Like, well, I mean, Louisville, eh, you know. Uh, but Cray- Creighton to, and San Diego State, though, like those that are real teams. In a, in a San Diego State team where the average age of the players is 35 years old is is very impressive to me. That is a very experienced You mean 25? Uh, no, 35. Uh, Matt Bradley has been in school uh, since the, the mid-2000s at this point, I believe. Um, but That was that uh, was a joke that I didn't pick up on. Oh my yeah, goodness. yeah, that's, yeah. That's no, crap they're, deeper for you in a nutshell. Yeah, they're, they're, they're an old team, bottom line. But um, yeah, so to, like when you're dealing with an experienced rim protector like, Nate Met, like, uh, like Mensa on their team and you're still like holding your own and not being intimidated and getting to the basket and using creative passing angles to get around somebody that size like that, that speaks volumes about just where he's at as a player and the willingness to stay to the free throw line is huge, especially if he's going to keep hitting free throws like this. So, um, and if, if I know the rims and now we are soft or whatever, but the fact that he was getting to the line and, and hitting him like that is super, super encouraging. Um, I think I do. I, one thing I love about the defense is his hand speed is outrageous. Mm-hmm. He reads the game so quickly. There was a play, I believe it was in the San Diego State game. It might have been the Louisville game, where he stole an inbound pass that they tried to throw over him that was like the silliest play I've ever seen. Where like you just immediately was like, oh, you're trying to throw this over me. And his hands just shot up at work. I remember the pass. And he took the ball. And like I you just don't see plays like that happen ever. Um, so that that was like one of my favorite, favorite highlights. But He's so good at just catching like that guy's dribbling. He's not good at dribbling and he's not paying attention. And I'm just going to go nab it real quick. Yeah. Um, and he's able to spring back into position so quickly because of his quickness. Um, really like the tools on defense. There are some things that um, I'm not crazy about defensively, just little things that I, I think part of it's going to come with just maturity and experience and playing right. more and knowing what you can and can't get away with when you're playing against better players. But all in all, like the, the whole package is really good. And I think with his instincts, there's chances it could get a lot better. Like just the way that he sees the game, like would you be surprised if he develops to be, cause he isn't yet, but if he develops into being like a really meaningful weak side rim protector over time, given like what he's able to do, 
or if he can be just a reliable three-point shooter. What that's going to open up for him is a cutter. Like there's all these yeah. little things where it's like, these are things that aren't the main concern right now. But if he just keeps getting better, they're well within reach. And I think that is where it's easy to get really excited about what he can become. Just the last thing I'll say about his offensive game. I, I talked about he has all the different types of passes in, in, mm-hmm. in the book. It's one thing to be able to throw a bounce pass at a certain speed or deliver it in a certain location, but the timing on those passes as well, right? He was he was doing some slick dump-off passes in Maui where if he would have done them at the wrong time, they would have been really easily intercepted and the ball would have been going the other way. It would have been a live ball turnover, but because of the timing that he had, on some of those dimes, they ended up being two points for his mm-hmm. team. And that I can't stress that enough. It's not just the speed and the location of passes, but it's about when you actually want to get the ball in those narrow windows. Timing is everything, especially when you get to the NBA, because defenders are a lot quicker. They're a lot more instinctual. Like those types of passes that are thrown not paying attention to the proximity of certain defenders and when you need to throw them they will be picked off incredibly easily you will see your turnovers pile up and your coach will be pissed off at you so that (laughs) Mm -hmm. i I don't have to worry about that with with anthony black whether he is the primary ball handler whether he is getting involved in a cutting action and he has to redirect the ball somewhere else i i don't have any of those worries about him I love Anthony Black. I think he's going to be a spectacular NBA player, and I want to continue to watch him on this Arkansas team, especially when he does have somebody like Nick Smith Jr. to help that bailout offense, right, where Anthony Black Big doesn't time, have to be yeah. the bailout shot maker. It can be somebody else. I, I Yeah, I can't wait. Our Arkansas, man, they are one of the most fun teams we have in the country. I'm so glad that we got to see them on, like, a national-type stage mm-hmm. in Maui. That was exciting. So another team that – always has the national spotlight no matter where they are the duke blue devils of course this afternoon we had the four overtime thriller between north carolina and alabama that was on espn duke and purdue was of course on abc we know we know who the money maker is in college basketball it's the duke blue devils we all know it mm-hmm. they've had a really interesting story keep developing with their team now today's game again a little bit notwithstanding although he he certainly wasn't bad but really it's been about what he was doing before this game kyle filipowski is soaring and i mean soaring up draft boards and when i use the word soaring or surging in the case of brandon miller i mean it quite literally with filipowski because i struggled with ranking him inside the top 45 before the preseason started yeah i was in that same boat and it wasn't that I didn't see the offensive skill. I think we all on this podcast actually acknowledged the offensive skill when we talked about him, but I wanted to see what it looked like in college. Was this going to be a Matthew Hurt type of situation where he was going to be this guy who lived behind the three-point line, who could sometimes create some sort of his own offense, but at the end of the day, he was getting played off the floor in other respects because the defense was just that poor. Or was he going to be one of these reliable seven-foot stretch bigs who could also offer some some sort of defensive impact? Was he going to be rebounding the ball at a high level? What type of offensive actions would you be able to use him in? And he has answered all of those questions with a resounding yes. Kyle Filipowski should be taken seriously, not just as a first-rounder, but by the numbers, really should be looked at with a top-20 grade. 
And I think today I'm probably sitting here as by the next time I update my big board, I'm probably going to have to have Kyle Filipowski in the top 20. He is certainly not a perfect prospect. There are plenty of defensive shortcomings that we can still talk about. However, I do think when he's had to play on the ball or when he's had to recover in certain situations, like just around the basket, like I'm talking like when he's had to make a quick recovery from like the foul line coming back towards the basket to help. I think he's been able to do those things. I think he's been able to defend off the ball to an extent in the post when he has a big man going up against him. I would obviously like for him to be a better rim protector in that sense, be able to block those shots and not just allow some of those post up makes to go in. He hasn't been as poor in space as I thought he would be, though. I'm he, with you there. He has yeah. not been barbecue chicken in space. So I do love that aspect of his game. And then when you throw in all the fun things he's doing offensively from a scoring perspective, I mean, I mean, shit, Max, what, what do you want? You want post-scoring? Check. You want a face-up game? Check. Three-point shooting, pick-and-roll, pick-and-pop offense, all of those things checks. And then when he does get the ball, he can redirect. He has the vision to be able to redirect the ball and make some pretty awesome passes in doing so. Now, I don't love his passing touch. I think there are certainly times where he passes the ball away from his man. Like he he will see things incredibly well. And he will make some passes where I'm like, yeah, if he got the ball in this situation in the NBA, he would have to be able to make that pass. That's great. He recognizes he does. He just throws the ball away from some of his guys or throws it too high or too low, a little too much for my liking to put him in more of a, a higher usage passing role. But the fact that he can do a lot of those things and he has those vision out of double teams when, when he um, comes off and he tries to take the ball to the basket, he can get the ball away when he needs. So I like seeing that. That's great. The shooting. I do love the shooting. The, he gets to the line at a really high rate. He makes his yeah. free throws at a really high rate. I think more of the jump shooting is going to come around. I'm listing off more positives than negatives, Maxwell, and I, I think you're probably going to do the same thing in talking about Philip Hassel. Yeah. Where, where are you at with him right now? Yeah, I'm in a similar boat. I, I've been really impressed with what I've seen. And I, one of the notes that I had from his high school tape was that even though he can, he can be a little too upright on the perimeter, but he is fluid and he changes direction well. Mm-hmm. And I think that is like the biggest thing that has helped him on the perimeter is that if you throw a counter at him, he's not like a giraffe on roller skates. Like he's not going <laughs> to completely fall apart and like be unable to handle himself. He's, he's able to just like stick with guys fairly well. Um, I'm, I'm a little more concerned about some of the offensive scoring stuff. I think um, I'm In what not, way? I'm not crazy about how he finishes through contact. Agreed. Um, I think he needs to be stronger with the ball in every sense. Agreed. Um, I also am like, I felt like the early games I watched, he was just like never hitting important threes. And then he was making them in garbage time. Like the Delaware game, I thought he like hit too late where I was like, I don't know. Like to me, it was a little too much like a guy hitting a home run. Like when the game is like, well put away. Um, So I want to see what the jump shot looks like in conference before I'm like totally sold on it um but the things i like i like a lot i love the work rate on offense i love that he's doing something all the time he can stay in motion uh play at a high pace gets really involved on the glass on both ends um the way that he is operating out of his face up is very impressive to me and i like the fact that he is putting traditional big men in really uncomfortable predicaments like if a big man does a traditional big man style closeout on him he can pump fake and take him off the off the dribble. And I wasn't 
positive that that was going to be there coming in. Like it was something that you saw in the high school tape. And it's like, I don't know that this is going to work <laughs> at the next level. And it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that to me has been the most encouraging development uh, and how he can use that to get to the free throw line and things like that. Um, I, I think I might like the passing a little bit more than you do. I agree that it's not always accurate, but that was also a big criticism I had with Victor early on too. And I wonder how much that is just acclimating to the speed. No, it's, it's always more important to be able to recognize where and when you should pass the ball. Like mm-hmm. the, the, the delivery is something you can work on. I, I agree with yeah. you. Yeah. So I, I do just want to see him be a little bit more efficient in general. I want to see him not have to get his own rebound a little bit more. I'd like to see him uh, just uh, – the jump shot is just like a whole season thing. Like I just want to see where that ends sure. up at the end of the year. Um, but yeah, I'm way, way more interested than I anticipated being going into the season, especially this early on. So the biggest knock that I would have on him right now, you talked about some of the jump shooting. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of his finishing around the basket is leaving a little bit to be desired. Oh, now, sure, now, yeah. now I listed off. He is very capable of scoring out of the post. He is very capable of catching the ball on the move and getting to the basket. And finish. like, he's capable of these things. He's just not doing them at an efficient rate for a seven-footer. So mm-hmm. I tweeted about this. Mark, Mark Schindler and I were having a conversation on Twitter, and I, I tweeted this out. So he's a high-volume, low-efficiency big when it comes to the two-point percentages, when it comes to some of the shaky jump shooting. But he gets to the line a lot. He makes the free throws a lot. And he rebounds the absolute hell mm-hmm. out of the ball. Yeah. particularly on the offensive end, certainly on the defensive end. All right. So when I present that package in front of you, it should remind you of a certain player that you and I watch all the time. I know you're time. going with this and I, I can't, I, yep. So let the I, audience I'm know. not making the one-to-one comparison. That's not what I'm doing, but just in terms of the production itself that we're seeing at Duke, some Joel Embiid stuff going on here. And mm-hmm. you, you knew that's where I was going to go. I almost made you spit out your, your drink. But yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's what we watch all the time with Joel Embiid. Like, this is amazing. Yeah. He struggles to finish above 50% on all of his field goal attempts, mm-hmm. right? He can make threes, but he doesn't make them at a high clip. He lives at the line. He absolutely kills it when he gets to the line. And he's always going to be a, a threat to be a double double guy because you know he's able to give you, you know, the 10 to 13 rebounds on any given night. Now here's my criticism with that. So obviously, obviously it's not a one-to-one comparison. Kyle Filipowski's not going to get this many touches to get to those types of stat lines where we're all of a sudden making those types of production comparisons. That's, that's just not going to be, I don't think what happens in the NBA as he stands right now. So if he's a high volume, low efficiency player, and that sort of translates to a smaller sample size to where it, it looks even worse. The numbers look even worse because mm-hmm. he's not getting the same amount of touches. What does that mean for the NBA team drafting him? Like, I think what Mark said in that Twitter exchange was exactly right. It's not just going to be about fit for the team that drafts him. It's also going to be about role, right? And what, what mm-hmm. does that role look like for him? How do NBA teams get him involved in the right ways to where he's able to replicate a lot of this without feeding him, you know, 14, 15, 16, whatever, however many shots it's going to take in a game for him to put up the type of numbers that he's putting up. Like 
what what's a 19 and 14 going to look like for him in the NBA? Is it going to look like that off like eight, 10 field goal attempts? Does he have to be like 18, 20 field goal? To like, what, what mm-hmm. does that have to look like? So th- that's my biggest concern around his game is that I I'm not sold on the, the, any sort of star aspect for him, which is why I think anybody ranking him in like, as like a top 10 or top 12 pick, for yeah. example, that's rich for my blood right now. Yeah, I agree. But so w- I, I just laid out, one hell of a conundrum for for our mm-hmm. listeners to to ponder about but like is that sort of where your mind goes when we talk about some of the the weaknesses and or concerns with this game yeah where i start to really scare myself off with him is just like who are the what are the bets i'd rather take mm-hmm. because if i'm right about kyle philip let's say i love kyle Filipowski and i end up being right about kyle Filipowski, like is he like a top 15 center in the nba like if everything is he even right. a center in the NBA? Do you feel comfortable with him? How many fours like that starting caliber fours? Do you feel comfortable with him defending in the NBA? Like there's there just start to be a lot of questions where it's just fit. I don't know scheme. It, it gets it. really uncomfortable. Really, it's got to be a little yeah. too perfect, right? It, it does. It does. Um, but like you mentioned, and like you mentioned, Joel Embiid, who like was like a sixty three percent shooter on twos in college. In college, yeah, much more dominant, so, right? So that's the thing is it's like, so we're already seeing these massive efficiency woes in college, like on, on his twos against uh, Xavier three for eight against a team with like two legit bigs that you can throw at him against Kansas five for 12 against a small Kansas team that like play a six, seven guy at center for most of the time, four for 10 against USC upstate. Like you can't, you can't be doing, you gotta be better. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that to me is like where I start to be like, Cause I did a, I mentioned this in the group chat. I did like a hasty board where I was just like snap decision, this guy or this guy. And he ended up around like 28th on that board. Um, just because I think at a certain point, like I, there are so many guys where I'd rather be like, look, this might be a total disaster and they might not be trustworthy players to the extent that Filipowski can be at times. Um, but like the upside is just way too big. Like we just talked about Anthony black who like, super trustworthy player wild tools like crazy upside but you can get lower and they're guys that aren't that trustworthy that are a little bit more projects and figuring out where to slot filipowski in that area when you're not doing a board for a specific team can be a little bit difficult so how many duke prospects are you taking over filipowski as it stands because this is this is a very fluid conversation right i i'm definitely still taking Dariq whitehead ahead of him Dariq may very well drop a little bit yeah. on my next yeah, yeah, board yeah. update just purely because of the the circumstances and we've seen other guys and Dariq could eventually make his way back up to number three where I had him preseason but I think it's going to take a little while for that to possibly manifest itself but we've seen Derek Lively really struggle um Mark Mitchell's kind of he's he's been out there a little bit now Tyrese Proctor I think Tyrese Proctor woke up in the second mm-hmm. half of that Kansas game that, that I talked about a little bit with Steven and even in today's game against Purdue, Proctor was able to score 16 points, three assists to one turnover, seven of 13 from the floor. The shooting still isn't coming around for him from range, but he's able to get into some of those mid-range pull-ups and really make defenses pay for not staying glued to his hip all the time when he has the ball. How many Duke prospects are you taking over Kyle Filipowski? Yeah, so on that board, I had Dariq. Um, 
and I had Derek Lively. And I know you said that he's struggling, but he has an effective field goal percentage of 69.2. I mean, this guy, uh, no, I, I am extremely concerned. You mean, you about... mean every, everything that's a dunk he can do. Yeah. We got it. Two, Derek two Lively, throw down, we got it. Yeah. Derek Lively and his 3.2 points per game are very much starting to worry me. It's like, the person who is most i think we're we're angry about it right to an extent like we we have a little bit of anger yeah yeah like i'm not even disappointed anymore (laughs) i am actually i'm actually upset at Derek lively um and like it's just like the mentality between him and filipowski is so clearly different like filipowski will look to punish a mismatch and it's not always the cleanest thing sometimes he does have to get his own rebound and do it a second time but like lively doesn't like you could put you could put a five foot seven point guard on Derek Lively. And I'm not certain that he would call for the ball in the post at this stage. Like it is, it is really frustrating. Um, You know what, you know, what's really interesting about Derek Lively. So mm -hmm. I was listening to the low post. Actually, I was listening to portion of it today Mm -hmm. where I believe it was, it was, it was Mike Prada that was on. They were talking about the, the Washington wizards and Mm -hmm. Mike was talking about how he's loathing, Daniel Gafford's existence right now at the backup center spot. He was going through all the different reasons why, you know, Daniel Gafford was seen, seemed like a great player, you know, and he's bounced around a few teams, but it seems like wherever he's gone, he's put up efficient production. He's always been like a a good PER center when, when he's Mm -hmm. played the minutes for it. Right. But you take a look at some of the things he's not good at, or that he's not currently giving that team sounds like Derek lively. And that, that concerns me. So we're going to talk like, about yeah, taking the last this guy. Comparison you want when like when you're talking about somebody that that has that level of ability and expectation. Yeah, he's the both of them are freak athletes, right? The mm-hmm. both of them when they're at their best, they they absolutely can impact the game on the glass. They can block shots. They can get up off the ground 1 feet, 2 feet. They can hammer down whatever type of dunk you want to hammer down. But the things that they don't do or when they aren't at their best and they are only playing limited minutes. It's, it's funny how similar those two guys can be. And when we look at taking somebody like lively in the lottery, right. When we talk about using that type of pick on them and then bigs already develop at a slow pace as it is. So you get to the, the three, four year mark where all of a sudden you got to pay this guy an extension and you have to give him real money in the NBA what does that contract look like? And are you happy handing that type of contract out or are you much more willing to let him go to another team? Or even when you are the team that acquires him, maybe you acquire him before that four-year window's up and you have to be the one thinking about giving him an extension. Like, are, are you handing out that bag of money if we're not seeing the type of game that we thought we were going to be getting from somebody like a Derek Lively? And th- those conversations, I know it, it's a little deep as to what we no. do here focusing on like college basketball, but like these are the but questions we ask in June. Right. Yep. But when that's the thing is like when we're making boards, like I try to put myself in that mindset. Like I, when I submitting my board for a composite, like that's the stuff you have to think about is, do you want to take this guy where these are the type of questions you have? And then four years from now, if you're seeing flashes, but you still have those questions and then you have to commit to a guy for potentially five years after that, like, what do you do? What do you do? Would you rather just take somebody else? And yeah, the Derek Lively experiment has been, has been probably the most frustrating development of this draft cycle for me. Cause I, I, the tools are outrageous. Like the fact that he has the shooting ability, he does. 
and he's not displaying it at all. And the fact that even like as a passer, like the game against Delaware, he used his length in so many interesting ways to create for his teammates. And even that, like, it's just not there. Like there is zero assertiveness from him. Mm -hmm. And there's times defensively where he looks awesome. Like he's switching onto smaller guys and he's doing really well. And there's other times where he just has a traditional big on him. And it's like, oh, you're going to like get eaten alive in those games. And I think he's just too weak right now. Yeah, we talked about it. That's just what it is. And I think there's like an over-reliance of people to be like, oh, well, like Jokic and Embiid like destroy everybody. And it's like, they do, but like Ivica Zubac doesn't destroy everybody, but he can destroy you if he wants to. And like, that's where you start to worry about somebody like Derek Lively. Yeah, and, and, and it's not it's not just the Zach Eadies of the world destroying Derek Lively. It's it's yeah, all these it's, other it's big everyone. men that he just can't, <laughs> he, he, mm-hmm. he just, he can't box out. He can't get around. Like the, these are real issues. And when you get to the NBA, like that's great. Derek Lively's seven feet tall. He's seven one, but all these other centers, for the most part, they're all like six eleven to, to seven foot one, seven foot two. So, mm-hmm. how many of these guys are you actually going to be jumping over to get all of your rebounds, to to get all of your block shots? Like eventually, you're going to have to be able to hold your ground and actually have the lower body strength to stay in your stance, right? Guard the post and be able to contest something when any of these guys that we could rattle off go into your body. It's not just about getting up, getting up off the ground off a, off a uh, rotation from the weak side coming over to block somebody's shot. So that like, these are real things that we have to think about. So what lively is going to take, he, he is going to take a tumble on my next board. And I, I hate it. I absolutely I too, hate it. Right. Like, what are we supposed to do? Like, <laughs> because it, it's funny. We talk about as I know we're getting a little off topic here, but like we talk mm-hmm. as draft evaluators, we're supposed to take into account what's happening right now, but we're also supposed to not dog these guys and really try and project forward as to this is how it is now, but are we still going to be in the same position in May and June when we're making even more updated editions of the, of our big boards? Are we still going to take the same stance or are these guys going to end up going up right back to where they were preseason? And we have to sort of eat a little bit of crow. Like I may have moved this guy down a little bit too quickly. Mm-hmm. With in the case of Derek Lively, though, how does this get better this year? I'm I'm really struggling to answer that question. And unless he really sells us on like this ridiculous five to ten minute YouTube highlight reel that he's able to put together, where the the highest of highs just look that good to the point where we have him back in the lottery conversation, how else is this really going to change for him? Whereas Kyle Filipowski. I can absolutely see a world now where Kyle Filipowski goes in the top 20 and Derek Lively does not go in the top 20. Now, I still think Der- I think I still think Derek Whitehead's going to be their best prospect. I still think he's going to be a top 10 guy. Mm-hmm. Right now, Kyle Filipowski is their second best prospect for me. Now, okay. if you ask me this question two months from now, Tyrese Proctor could actually be that answer. Yeah. Which yeah. I think he I think he is going to be that answer. I just hesitate with jumping him that far up my board without the production necessarily behind it to make that type of a jump. I need to see a little bit more of the shooting or I need to see more performances like today where, yeah, he didn't shoot the ball great, but it didn't stop him from getting an efficient 16, five and three. I need to no, see and more he's of confident that. with it too. Like he, the, like the fact that he had a slow start and he's still like, I'm shooting pull up three still. Like I, I really appreciate that about him. So if I had to rank them today, I would go Dariq, Kyle Filipowski, Tyrese Proctor, Derek Lively, Mark Mitchell. How would you rank those guys today? I would go 
Dariq Lively, Filipowski, Proctor Mitchell. Okay, so you I I love it. You're still sticking to your guns with Derek Lively. I love I, I am, I love but like if you had to I, I would have been stunned if you told me like if someone in the Chicagoland area who watches more Northwestern than he should, like, hey, Ryan Young is gonna be closing games over Derek Lively at Duke. Like I I never would have believed you. Absolutely never would have believed you. And I can't even say it's the wrong call at times, given the way that Lively's played. But that's that's where we're at. All right, this last main guy that we're going to talk about, or really, I shouldn't even say main guy. Like, I, I think the conversation is going to go by rather quickly on him, and then maybe yeah, we'll yeah. throw in a few other names at the end. But you mentioned the exercise that you performed, right? Doing mm-hmm. the, the the quick hits board, like this guy or that guy, this guy or that guy, just doing a really quick exercise, which is great, by the way. Like, I do those exercises with my board all the time or any sort of tiers list I'm making. I keep track of all this stuff throughout the year. And I go back and forth with myself constantly as I'm watching all these games. So I think it's great that you actually told the audience they can do that. I think more scouts should absolutely do that more regularly and shouldn't shouldn't feel bad about switching things up on their boards as they get new information. It can quite literally be a, a day-to-day process when you're doing all of these things in our space. But you mentioned that exercise. You threw out a name who I knew I wanted to talk about at least a little bit, but then you threw out a ranking for this guy, and I went, oh, my God. Like we, So we've really hit this point. Terrence Arsenault, Maxwell, this is, this is your floor. I want you to tell everybody, what has Terrence Arsenault already done for you, and, and why should he be a guy? We already tried to call him out preseason, but yeah. now we're in it. Why do people need to be paying more attention to this guy? So preseason, I had Terrence Arsenault 20 when we got to him, when we were covering during the preseason episodes. And it was, it was a big, a big shocking reveal moment. Um, and then in the group text, I, I got scared. I got a little nervous, tentative. I moved him down when we submitted our first board. I think I still had him in the first, but I definitely moved him down. Mm-hmm. And when I did my exercise the other day, he came out at 19. So he is back. He is back in the top 20. Top 20 Terrence is, is what everybody's calling him now. Um, I am just comfortable betting on the skill set with him. I think what we've already seen is very good. I my main concern with him is like the jumper can be a little funky looking at times. Like, um, so I wasn't positive he was going to shoot it as well as he did in his EYBL games as he did in college. But through six games, thirty six point four from three, he's taking three point seven per game. He's also hitting 61.5% of his twos, which is great. Um, but he's just showing more as a, as a score than I anticipated. Like uh, there was a play where he got chased off the line. Nice, bam, wonderful pull-up, knocked it down. Like that's the type of stuff I was really hoping to see from him and that I thought was possibly going to send him back to school for another year playing on such a loaded Houston team. Um, but he's just a really wiry athlete. He's really explosive. Um, defensively, I actually think he's leaving stuff on the table right now given what he showed in high school, like his high school stats, even like an EYBL were nuts. Um, Which you say that, but this dude came in in that Oregon game and created absolute utter chaos and really made the most of it. So he's got a a steal rate over four, a block rate of 1.4. And that like is lagging behind expectation for me. Like, I think he is a better shot blocker, both just traditional. I'm going to spring up and block this and I'm going to come help and get a block. Like, I, I really think we're going to see him get more comfortable and get more blocks as the year goes along. 
Um, and like, and he's still not totally consistent, like just over two with no points against Kent state yesterday after going for 15 against Oregon, but um, six rebounds. And yeah, 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 yeah. So he's still finding ways to impact the game, even though he's not scoring. Yeah. And I, I do think that there is like definitely a lack of ball skill still like in, and the fact that he's not turning it over to me is like encouraging, even though he's he has not. one turnover he's, on the season. That's yeah. It. And, and he's in a very low usage role. So he's able to do that, but he also only has two assists on the season. So like when he is chased off the line, it is a wonderful pull up or I'm going to try to get to the rim and finish. He's not really playmaking much for others, but no, but I still I think, think that's phenomenal that in 102 minutes played, mm-hmm. he has one turnover. I yeah, think if, like you, if you give that number to any coach, they'd be like, oh yeah, sign me up. I don't, I don't yeah, know what he's doing on the court. He's not, he's not stupid. He's not going to make mistakes. He's not going to like on offense. He's not a gambler. Like he doesn't do anything on offense. We were like, Terrence, what was that man? Like <laughs> he, he knows how to play within himself. So I think the defense is going to come along. And I think the fact that he's at least showing restraint in areas where he hasn't developed and he's a great athlete. Like that's a guy I'm comfortable betting on. Like I think the feel and defense are there and the shot is there that yeah there are like major gaps in what he needs to develop to be like a complete offensive player or even close to one um but just from a raw tool and production and feel standpoint i feel i feel comfortable putting my chips down on him like that is a skill set that i think is going to round out real nicely i'm not there not I get there it. yet yeah but what I will say to anybody out there in the audience, I, I don't think it's crazy. And the reason why I don't think it's crazy is NBA teams are always looking for these really easy plug and play complimentary pieces who are athletic enough, who can guard multiple positions, who don't make mistakes. They are looking for guys to be able to plug in the lineup who they know, well, at least he's not going to do X, Y, and Z, but he has the potential to give me X, Y, and Z. And that's that's really the whole pitch behind an off ball player like Terrence Arsenal, he's not cooking anybody hitting all these step back jumpers or doing anything real fancy, but the things that he is doing on the floor when he's getting the minutes, I think he's, has he only played one game over one game over 20 minutes this yeah. year so far. Yep. So like he, he's not even playing a significant role in this team, but we're already talking about him as a prospect that that should just tell everybody something right off the bat that, these guys who are in these bench roles, we're not always talking about them as prospects. The fact that we are talking about somebody like him as a real, real prospect, that should speak volumes in and of itself. So I, I do like Terrence Arsenault. I liked him in the preseason process. I Again, I wasn't where you were, but like we mm-hmm. had conversations about him. We're like, yeah, this is probably going to be one of our guys for this draft cycle. And lo and behold, he comes out, he had a great game against Oral Roberts, that, that Oregon game that everybody could watch in the playback. Like, He's had some moments now against some not terribly awful teams and Houston's going to play a good schedule. They're in the American. There are more threats, I think, in the, in the American than people realize, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Shoot. You, you like, yeah, there are some real threats in there. So they, they will have, he, I should say, will have some good opportunities to keep proving himself. And I don't think that coach Sampson will just say, this is your only role you're going to have this year. He, I think he's a fair coach who, if you earn that type of responsibility, I think you're going to get it. And I think Arsenal has a real shot to certainly earn more and be able to do more as the year goes on. So keep Terrence Arsenal's name on your watch list as somebody to really see creeping up a few boards. Okay, two guys 
that I'll just throw out really quickly who I think deserve a little bit of mention here. And then I think you, you might have a few mm-hmm. names for me as well. Yeah. So Julian Phillips for Tennessee, Corey, I'm starting to see a, a little more of it, a little more of it. So Tennessee had a great game. First of all, they had a great run in the battle for Atlantis. They actually won the battle for Atlantis. They, they beat Kansas. They beat for my eyes, Maxwell. I think Kansas to me looks like the best team in college basketball, just from what okay. I've seen mm-hmm. my eye test. They were able to knock off that team um, in a game against USC. Julian Phillips had 25 points, eight rebounds, looked really good doing it, was incredibly efficient, was really solid defensively. I like these guys who are willing to do a little bit of everything on the floor. And as Corey has, has talked to us about in our no ceilings chat, just a complimentary wing who can just give you a little bit of everything, has good size, has great athleticism. These are the types of players that NBA teams will always look for. I get it. Brother, better than 9% from three-point range. That has to come around, though. Like, the, the non-shooting, yeah. to me, that that prevents me from just being like, okay, you can now automatically be top 25 on my board because mm-hmm. you meet X, Y, and Z criteria. It definitely does seem to come around, but if you were to be like, hey, Julian Phillips is going to struggle with one thing out of the gate, what do you want it to be? I would say shooting because that's like kind of what he was known for before. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think you hope that it turns around and I don't think you're like crazy going out on a limb. If you were to be like, yes, it will. Um, the fact that he's being efficient on twos, the fact that he's like playing as good a defense. I was a little lower on the defense with this high school film. I thought he could be a little stiff uh, at times and a little slow at the point of attack. So um, like he's a really good vertical athlete. I just wasn't wild about him laterally. Um, so, I think But he's been better. That, he's, he's been yeah, a lot better. I think the fact that that's like clearly come along, whether it's, just physical changes or just he's growing up or, or whatever. Like it's really good. And he's getting to the line a ton. Like he's playing with a real aggressiveness and using the fact that he can like elevate and be a threat inside the arc and around the basket. Like it's, it's really good. His, his passing is further along than I expected to like, I'm really liking it. I just need to see him start making shots. Like, but that's a guy given his high school reputation. I think he gets some of the benefit of the doubt. Where to me, this is a guy where even if he hits like 33%, it's like, eh, I'm willing to give a little bit of a pass on that. And then one last quick shout out. A player who his team's going to have some opportunities this week against some some good, solid teams. I believe Notre Dame plays uh, Michigan State on Wednesday night, and they have another good game this weekend that, that I think I, I think they might – do they play Syracuse? So they, they, they play uh, another yeah, good Saturday. Team. Saturday. Saturday they play Syracuse. Yep. So going up against another guard that you and I both like in Judah Mitz. Don't look now. J.J. Starling, if you want to watch a fun prospect game, if you have some time to kill, Notre Dame against Bowling Green was a fun watch from a J.J. Starling perspective. This guy went 23 points on 10 of 11 shooting from the floor. He's hitting 46% of his shots from the field, 36% of his shots from three-point range. He's still not acting as the lead playmaker that Blake Wesley was for his team last year, but nevertheless, as a combo guard, J.J. Starling is starting to fill it up for Notre Dame. So I think people need to pay attention a little bit to him this week in these two games. We'll see if we want to talk about him a little more after these two games and what he can show us. But those are my two quick call-outs for the week. Maxwell, who who are some of your call-outs for the week? Yeah, so real quick, I I want to touch on a guy that – I look, sometimes you make a mistake as an evaluator. <laughs> and I had Nathan tell me no less than 75 times before the start of the season, you've got to check out these Oregon State guys. And I watched the Oregon State Duke game 
and man, Jordan they gave Pope. him fits, dude. Yeah, they did. And, and Jordan Pope can really play. Like he is six two guard, which you know things are going away from that a little bit. But he is so good. I think he's like a potential exception. He might not be a this year guy, um, but yep. he is efficient as a scorer. He is pulling up. He is fearless. Really good assist to turnover ratio so far. Um, I just love his confidence and how he was like taking stuff in the mid range, like the whole bag of like everything you want from a point guard who is six, two is all there with him. And like, as that game went on, I just felt like more and more, like I was paying more attention to Pope than anybody else on the court. He's not the best when it comes to separation. Um, hitting tough ones is still something that I'd like to see just come along a little bit with him. But his hands on defense and just his mid range and three point scoring, really, really good. Really, he plays the game like a grown up, doesn't he? He does. He does. It was a very mature performance. Um, and then another guy on a similar note, but opposite end of the spectrum, um, that I'm going to throw out there is Jaron Holmes from Iowa State. Um, they really pushed UNC, uh, got the upset win over them. He's a fifth year guy, so we're we're not talking draft. We're 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 talking Portsmouth with this guy. This is a guy that like <laughs> I love the Portsmouth guys. Where this where is, where's the rich eyes and fucking playoffs or what? Are we talking draft yeah. or what? Yeah. So so this is a guy that I think has a shot to like it would have to be the long road. Like it's gonna have to like graduate players just don't get drafted. Like I, I think it's gonna be kind of a surprise if we see one taken. Um, but this is a guy that I could see like just eventually getting there. Uh, to the NBA level. He is um, just a really nice player. Defensively, he knows where to funnel guys. Like, he knows the scouting report really well. Um, keeps guys out of the middle well when they were running that sort of a setup. Strong body, really good pace and hesitation. Was hitting threes off the dribble. Can use some misdirection to get where he wants to go on the court. Has has a floater game. Um, just a nice, mature player um it's six four which is like that's kind of what teams are looking for as far as guards go now like they want guys that are over six three and he has that mm-hmm. so it, it's going to be a long winding road um for him if he gets there but i think he's certainly a guy who like warrants consideration and if you're somebody who pays close attention to the draft and like you're talking about putting together a top 100 at some point even if it's just for fun as an exercise like he's a guy i think you need to check out at a certain point during the season Iowa State plays UConn in a big game. Mm-hmm. If you're listening to this pod, you will have already hopefully seen the game, but Maxwell mm-hmm. and I will, will be able to watch that tonight. I think I will try and stay up for at least a portion of it. Really, really interesting Iowa State team. I, I actually, I want to watch that name a little closer, Maxwell. Yeah. I definitely do, well, especially. Caleb Grill was hitting like every single shot on earth. Like, what Caleb did he have? Grill, like, how many threes? That was like seven threes or like, something yeah, crazy he was like, like seven that? Seven for 11 or something at some point. It was absurd. Like that. But he had some nice plays defensively. Like he had himself a game. Like that is not a guy we'll probably ever say his name on this podcast again. But boy, did he have a game against UNC. Last but not least, UCLA's Jalen Clark. If you haven't haven't checked him out, please go check out Jalen Clark. We I can assure you we will be talking about him on a future episode of this podcast. So if I had to give out one homework assignment for the listeners this week, go watch Jalen Clark. Go watch that UCLA Pepperdine game. Go watch the the UCLA Illinois. Like go 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 watch some of those performances. This, this man is guarding everybody he needs to on the floor. He's leading UCLA in scoring and rebounding as a six five guard junior. 
He's experienced. He's tough as nails. He's playing the game the right way. He's probably going to be a top 45 guy on a lot of draft boards. So go mm -hmm. check him out. But that being said, that's going to do it for tonight's episode of draft deeper. Certainly Maxwell can't thank you enough. You and I, every time we get together for a podcast, that's, that's why you're a co-host here, man. We always have so much fun. So tell everyone where they can find you and what are they getting in the prospect overview this week? I know yeah. Anthony black, but maybe even besides Anthony black. Yeah. So Anthony black was kind of the, uh, the big surprise name uh, that ended up being uh, somebody that, that came up. So uh, he's going to get a lot of coverage. You're going to get a lot of other Maui coverage. Uh, you're going to get some, some, some deep cuts as you're accustomed to. You're getting some Tucker DeVries victory lap oh, material. Boy. Here we go. Uh, you're getting some Taryn Armstrong. Uh, you're getting some, some Darren Williams, the kid at Nevada. That's like blowing up analytics charts. Uh, spoiler <laughs> alert. He's fine. I'm not like blown away <laughs> yet. Uh, but I, I mean, all the Maui and PK games were, were consumed. So a lot, a lot of stuff, a lot of names to touch on there. So you're getting a, a smorgasbord, another feast of, of college hoops uh, content. Fe feast week part two, courtesy of mm -hmm. Maxwell's writing, as well as my writing. And you can find him on Twitter at Boundboards. You can follow me on Twitter at Draft Deeper. Make sure you read the morning dunk as this podcast is coming out. Make sure you're following myself, as well as No Ceilings NBA for any content updates for myself, for Maxwell, from all of us at the No Ceilings Collective. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast feed. Wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, subscribe, rate, review, do all of those fun things. Subscribe to the Substack, nosillingsnba.com for our daily writing. We are pumping out anywhere from five to six pieces a week, so please go tune in if you want more excellent draft coverage all year round. But that is going to do it for this episode. Until we meet again on this very podcast feed, thank you all for listening, and I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week.